Well, good morning, family. Let's pray as we open the Word of the Lord this morning. Father, what a delight to be here with Your people on this wonderful morning. What a wonderful day to be celebrating fathers and uh, especially as it points us to You as our great Father. As we open the Word, as we come here to this psalm, we we ask, Lord, that You would help us to see what You have for us this morning. That You would not just open our minds to understand, but our hearts to truly listen and to take it to heart and to let it change us and shape us. May we meet with You here in this, in this time this morning. And may You bless us and touch us, for we are a needy people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. January in 2011, sheriff's deputies in Laurel County, Kentucky, went to pay a visit to a house because neighbors had called with repeated concerns about the welfare of a two-year-old child living there. When they got to the home, they discovered deplorable living conditions. Even worse, they found the, the child's father was operating a meth lab in the home. So they arrested both of the parents. Uh, the child was put into the care of family services. And this was the real booking photo of the dad. I was kind of disappointed because I expected better from the world's greatest dad. <laughs> you know, dads get a lot of bad press these days. If we listen, watch the news, read the news, we hear about drug pusher dads and drunk dads and deadbeat dads and absentee dads and abusive dads and workaholic dads. and We tend to see the worst of fathers on the news. But the great reality is that most dads are not that way at all. Actually, it's one of the running jokes that on Mother's Day we, uh, we always heap praise and, and all kinds of warm fuzzies on moms. And then on Father's Day we come and we, you know, shape up, men! <laughs> Get busy! Be good dads! And the reality is that most dads are good dads. Most dads are good and loving fathers. And that's not just my opinion because I am a dad and I have a vested interest in making us look good. It's God's opinion too. And I know that precisely because if it weren't true, then God would not have put Psalm 103 and verse 13 in our Bibles. So if you would, turn to the book of Psalms and to Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is a great psalm of praise and worship. It begins with these marvelous words that you probably know by heart, even if you didn't know you did. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Actually, there's this phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul, only shows up in two of the Psalms, uh, out of the 150 Psalms, only two Psalms 
use that phrase. And they're actually right next to each other. It's Psalm 103 that we're looking at this morning and Psalm 104 that we'll look at some other time. There's a big difference, though, between the two psalms. Psalm 104 is a psalm, it is a song that is addressed to God. When it says, when he begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, he goes right into, O Lord, my God, you are very great. And all the rest of the psalm is talking directly to God. That's Psalm 104. The one we're at here in Psalm 103 starts off the same, bless the Lord, O my soul, but then it moves to And all that is within me, bless His holy name. And everything else in the psalm is all addressed to the song singer. It is a song that is written for us and to us, though it is about God. It's a song of praise. It's all about God. It's all in praise to Him. There's not a prayer request anywhere here. It's all about calling us to praise. The reality is that you and I are hardwired to be people of praise. I don't know if you knew this, but it is natural for you to be a person of praise. Probably over the last two weeks, you probably saw a rainbow. Anybody see a rainbow in the last couple of weeks? You guys don't get out much, huh? Or, some, or you're asleep already. Some of you. Uh, how many of you saw a rainbow in the last couple of weeks? There you go. Okay, now still not a lot of you. I don't know what happens with you, but if I'm in a car with family or friends and see a rainbow, immediately, whoever the first person is, yeah, exactly, that's it. Yeah, a rainbow! I mean, even us old grumpy men, we, a rainbow, look at that, that's cool. And we say, that's beautiful. And we get excited and we all talk about it, right? That's praise. Some of us will probably watch a baseball game in the next few days. If you, maybe it's your, you know, son or grandson's or daughter's little league game. Maybe it's a high school game. Maybe it's a professional game. But when our team does something exciting, when they make a great play, when they get a hit, when they get a home run, what do we do? We jump up and down. You laugh. You guys not do that? Because the people at the games I go to, they do that. That's praise. When we're listening to the radio or somehow and we hear a new song and we go, wow! That song is awesome. I love that song. In the old days, what we would do is we would then we'd get in our car and we'd run down to the store and we would buy a, you know, that vinyl round thing or we'd buy a CD. And now you, if you hear a song you really like, then you go to Spotify or iTunes or something. You download it onto your phone and then you go to social media and you, you know, you, Post out there to your friends what a great song this is and why they should listen to this song because it's just like the best song that has been written in the last week and it's awesome. And that's praise. You see, we are hardwired to be people of praise. When we see something that 
we like, when we taste something we like, when we hear something we like, when we experience something we like, we want to tell about it. We want to shout about it. We want to, whoa, that is great, that's awesome. What we need to be reminded of is not to be people of praise, What we need to be reminded of and what David is writing this psalm to do is to be reminded to be people who praise God. See, we tend to praise the baseball player. We tend to praise the basketball player. We tend to praise the musician. We tend to praise the song. We tend to praise the spectacular display in nature. We tend to praise the cook and the food and and all of these things, but we do not often praise God and we very seldom give God the praise that He deserves. And so David says, bless the Lord or praise the Lord, oh my soul! He's preaching to himself and there's good times we ought to do that and I think that this week we we would do well to take this psalm after this week and, and go over it again during the week and preach to ourselves Especially if you are someone who, who right now you're going through a difficult time, you need to preach this psalm to yourself. If you are a person who is going through a time of depression, you need to preach this psalm to yourself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. David is calling himself to, to rouse himself up in praise and not just a little bit, but everything that is within me. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength, everything. Let's get busy and praise God. It's a horrible shame that we come to church. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And we praise God so pathetic. You don't have to be a great singer. You don't even have to be loud. But it ought to be enthusiastic. It ought to be wholehearted. And David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything that is within me. Bless His holy name. It's interesting, by the way, what's the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I think that's that's really the essence here that David is saying is, Bless the Lord, everything that is within me, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, love God and let Him know it. There is no thing, there is no one that is greater than God. And so David in this psalm, he he lays out for us some reasons why we should praise God, why we should bless God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We could come up with a million reasons if we wanted. I love that song, 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And there, and it's going on. It's not that there's 10,000 reasons, that there's 10,000 more and 10,000 more. I love that song. David just picks a few, and we're going to look at a few this morning very quickly. The crescendo of this psalm, as it moves to the peak, we find it in verse 13, and it's why I picked it for this Father's Day. Verse 13 says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. That's the crescendo of the psalm. David says that 
When you look at your dad, you get an idea of how God loves you. That's a marvelous statement, men. And I think it's a big statement in a day, in a day when fatherhood is often decried. And as I, often, as I said, often the worst of dads is portrayed. The reality is most dads are good dads. And God says that He believes that so much that God is willing to say, if you want to see what I love like, if you want to see how I love, look at how a dad loves his children. Just imagine that this afternoon, LeBron James is giving an interview on the radio before the big game. LeBron James, one of the greatest ball players perhaps of all time, is on the radio and uh, somebody calls in and says, it's somebody from St. Louis, and they say, hey, um, I, I've never seen you play, LeBron, and, and I just wondered, describe for me what it would be like to see you play basketball. And he thinks for, thinks for a moment, and it's kind of silent, and he says, you live in St. Louis. And uh, he said, yeah. But I tell you what, if you want to know what it's like to watch me play basketball, then go watch Brian Clemens play basketball. Wow. Or, go watch, uh, or go watch Rob Gleason play basketball. Now, either that is saying really high praise about how those guys play basketball or it's speaking very lowly of how LeBron James plays. You can kind of take your pick which one. Maybe he fills in your name. See, the reality is if the, one of the greatest ball players of all time says, you want to know what it's like to see me play ball? Go see this person. That'd be a pretty awesome statement, wouldn't it, for you to hear if that was you. Let me tell you, it is infinitely more astounding that the God of the universe would say, if you want to know how I love, go look at Jeff Lockett, how he loves his kids. If you want to know how I love you, I want you to go see Ansley Young and see how he loves his kids. You see, it's astounding that God would say, look at a dad. Look at your average run-of-the-mill dad and you'll get just an inkling of how I love you. That forever, men, elevates and escalates the status of being a dad. Good dads make it easy for kids to understand God's good love. And what that does, men, is that gives us a huge motive to be good dads. It also, the converse of that is true, that if we aren't good dads, we can get in the way of our kids and others understanding and seeing a good God. So it's also humbling then because it begs the question, is my fathering a good representation of God's love? And how would I know? How would I really know if I'm doing a good job or not? I mean, what does a good dad look like? Well, 
I said this verse 13 is the crescendo of the psalm where David has laid out in the verses before exactly what God's love looks like. And as we do that, we can see how God loves like a good dad. And it not only tells us about God's love for us, it also for us dads will be a good pattern of some of what we ought to look like if we're if we love like God as a dad. Very quickly, we're just going to run through these things and look some of these things. Verse 2, go back to the beginning of the psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget any or all of His benefits. First thing that I see is, is that a good dad, God provides benefits for His children. A good dad provides benefits for His children. James writes in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift, every good thing in your life, whether you're talking about what you're going to have for lunch today or whether you're talking about your kids or whether you're talking about your grandkids or your house or your health, or any good gift you have is a gift from a loving Heavenly Father. God provides good gifts for His children. David goes on and he very quickly... God provides good gifts. And David lists five of them here in the text. He he starts in verse 3. He says, Who forgives all your iniquity. God forgives our sin. The second good gift that God gives is says, God heals all your diseases. Thirdly, he says, He redeems your life from the pit. God restores destroyed and rebuilds destroyed lives. He says, in verse 4, he goes, He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That word crowns means to encircle or surround us with love and mercy. And lastly, God, it says, verse 5, He satisfies you with good things. God satisfies us with good things. Five good gifts that God gives us. The reality is these good gifts are basic needs that we have. We need forgiveness of sins. We need healing from our physical and spiritual diseases. We need our lives rebuilt. We've messed up. We need love and mercy. and We need good things. And we enjoy good things. The reality is a good God provides for His children and Likewise, dads, we know that good dads will do all that they can to meet the needs and provide for their children. Secondly, verse 6, we see, we read, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. God helps the needy, the oppressed. In the Scripture, the ones who are listed as the oppressed most often are ones like the widows and the orphans and the, the alien, the, the refugee, we would say today, and the poor. God is just and He has a heart. He, he takes the side of the widow and the orphan and the needy and the oppressed. God is on their side and ultimately one day He will bring everything to light Ultimately, He will judge with impartiality. See, right now we might look around and we say, if God takes the, part, the side of the oppressed, where is justice in the world? Well, the story isn't finished yet. The last chapter hasn't been written yet. 
ultimately God will judge and He will bring about justice. Martin Luther King Jr. said it rightly when he said, the arm of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. In other words, God is patient, but ultimately God will make everything right because He's a God of justice. Verse 7, God, uh, David goes on about how God, is, how God loves us. And he says, He made His ways known to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. What a sad thing it is that so often we look at the Word of God and we say, Oh, the Bible, it's a burdensome thing. We have here the things that we have to do. Maybe I'll have to open the Bible and read. What a different attitude from David. Psalm 119, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Why does David love God's law? Because he says, your words are life. See, God's law is not some burden that he has, God, that he has dumped upon us. God's law, God's Word is a gift. They are instructions from the manufacturer on how to get the most and the best out of this life. We do good. We are blessed when we listen to what the manufacturer says. And so these are good words. And God has given us instruction then for living. And so... A good dad as well gives instruction for to his children on how to live rightly. God's love is shown in verse 8 where it says the Lord, if you'll read there verse 8, it says the Lord is merciful and gracious and He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God does get angry sometimes because He is a just God as we already said and He must punish sin. But God does not get angry like we so often do. He doesn't just fly off the handle at some random time. I can't believe you did that. God is not like that. And that's a good thing. Because if you're anything like me, you do stuff all the time that is worthy of that. Right? I mean, if... I can't get through a day without messing up. And I imagine that if God were like me, as I often am, you know, in my weakness, that it wouldn't take much for God to just like, Spock, you're an idiot! I can't believe you did that again! And then throw a few lightning bolts. (laughs) Because that's what I would do. (laughs) Because I am not gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abound. I'm so glad that God is that way, aren't you? And as a dad, that's what I strive to be. And we should all strive to be. The Lord has great patience. God's patience, by the way, has a purpose. He is patient with you, Peter says. Not just be for no reason. God is patient with us because He is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God's anger against sin and His wrath against sin and His judgment of sin are held at bay by God's mercy and by God's grace and by God's patience. But it's 
held at bay. Ultimately, God will judge sin, but it's held off and held off one more day, Peter writes, because he's giving one more opportunity for one more person to come and to experience His mercy instead of His judgment. Not only does God have great patience, verse 9, it says, He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. Chide's not a word we use very often, but what He's simply saying is that God doesn't want to keep fighting. See, God didn't start the fight to begin with. We did. (laughs) And God is willing at any time to end the division to receive and welcome His prodigal child back home. The problem isn't that God isn't willing to end the the fight, the end the argument. It's that we're not willing to take off the boxing gloves yet. We still have our own agenda. We still have our own pride and our own anger in the way. But God tempers His anger. He has great patience. And he tempers his anger. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he forgives our sins. We read up in verse 3 where it says, He forgives all your iniquity. There's good news as God deals with our with all of our mess, with all of our sins. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, He gives us forgiveness. And if you look in verse 12, He says He takes the sin and when He forgives it, He says, as far as the east is from the west, so he, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Our sins, when God forgives them, they're not buried in a shallow grave that might get opened up where they come back to haunt us again later. Our sins are removed As far as you can go west, you never run out of west. And as far as you go east, you never run out of east. And He's removed them as far as can ever be. They will never come back. They're gone for good. One kid was complaining about a lot of tension in his home. And he said, my parents are always getting historical. And his buddy said, you mean hysterical? And he said, no, historical. They're always reminding me about every bad thing I ever did. And that's not good. God isn't like that. When He forgives, it's gone forever. Lastly, verse 11, David says about God's love, he says that His, in verse 11, he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love. God's love is immeasurable. Like the old kid's song, you can never get over it, you can never get under it, you can never go around it. God's love is immeasurable. We'll never exhaust it. That's good news. So all of that, David has just led up to verse 13. He said, this is what God's love is like. And then he says, in the crescendo, in the climax of that, he says, it's like a dad loves his kid. So dad, there's the pattern. There's one more thing he points out about how God, how God's compassion comes to us, and we find it in verse 14. And he says, because he gives us all of this, he treats us this way because he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. God knows our condition. 
He knows and understands us. He understands that we are weak. He understands that we are frail. He understands that we are ignorant. Yet He still loves us. I remember my first Father's Day. It was June 21st, 1981. It was at 7.07 in the morning on Father's Day when they placed that tiny, little, beautiful, defenseless, helpless, very needy little girl in my arms. And I became a dad. I wasn't put off by the fact that she was totally needy, that she was crying, that she was frail, that she was going to be dependent and going to be requiring all kinds of stuff from me for the rest of my life. None of that mattered because I was smitten. I knew from that moment I would literally do anything for my little girl. May I say that's just an inkling of how it is with God. He looks at us and despite all the frailties and the weaknesses and the flaws and the problems, and He has compassion on us. He remembers we are but dust. That's good. But He has more to say about our condition. Not only are we dust, but He says here, as for man, verse 15, His days are like grass. Can you remember way back to about a week and a half ago when our lawns were all green? Everything was lush. We'd been having rain almost nonstop. We had, it was cool weather and the grass was growing and just in the last week and a half, it's just like the, the rain shut off, the heat turned up and the grass turned yellow. John mentioned the flowers. I don't know if you've noticed in the, on the pots on the way into church, uh, about Easter time, there were some pansies, I think is what those are, right? They were planted around. And they're beautiful and they look good all the way up until last week. The person who planted them asking me every day, they still look good? Yeah, they still look great, you know. And then they left town and the heat showed up. And it was like overnight, about half of those flowers just turned to little yellow stalks. The rest of them will probably die today. That's what flowers do. He says, we are terminal like the grass and like the flowers. We flourish like a flower of the field. It's here. It's beautiful. But then the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. It's like it wasn't even there. He says, that's your life. Amen. Let's go home. If it just ended there, we wouldn't have anything to celebrate. And this song is calling us to celebration. Fortunately, there's another verse. Verse 17, and it begins with this little word, but. That's a great word. Because he says, you are like dust and you're terminal. You have all the life expectancy of a flower. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Here's the good news. God's love is everlasting. And when He says it's everlasting on 
on those who fear Him. In other words, not just that God's love is everlasting, but you're like the flower who you're just going to be gone and it's like you were never even there. He's saying God's love is on you. In other words, you're going to live forever and enjoy God's love forever. And that's going to be cooler than we ever imagine. That is a good good news. God's faithful, steadfast love is on His children from everlasting to everlasting. So while the human condition is to wither and die like the grass and the flower, the child of God will live forever and enjoy His love, which raises a critical question. Is God your Father? Are you His child? See, I ask that question because popular thought, popular, popular thinking, popular speech says we're all God's children. Does it not say that? The Bible says something different. And it's a sobering reality that this psalm, which has all been about how big and how great God's love is, says that God's love is limited. His love is from everlasting to everlasting, but it doesn't say on everybody. It says, did you read it? Verse 17, on those who fear Him. Go back to verse 11, the second half of verse 11, and see what it says there. So great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. Go to down to verse 13. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Him. God's eternal, everlasting love is for those who fear Him, His children, those He says He shows His compassion to His children. Just like, by the way, every one of us parents understands that. We have love for our children that is different than love for other children. Do we not? God has special love for His children. And who are they? They are the people who fear Him. It's a big point because it says it three times. And so again, it comes back to that big question, is God our Father? Well, the answer is, do I fear God? And that kind of brings up another question, what does it mean to fear God? In a nutshell, if I can say, because we don't have time, I'm out of time. In a nutshell, to fear God means to believe God. Verse 18, it goes on and it says it this way. It says, it explains what it is to fear God. It's those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. When it describes that, it's not talking about people who are sinless, people who are perfect, because there are no sinless and perfect people. What it's saying is, it's speaking of people who are forgiven It's speaking of people who love God's law and are in a covenant relationship with God because they believe Him. John chapter 1, verse 12 says it very clearly this way. It says, But to all who received Him, that's Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. See, if you're here this morning and you're not sure, am I a child of God? Here's what the Bible says. How do, you, how do you become a child of God? It says you believe God. And God says that He sent Jesus. 
His one and only Son, John 3.16. So whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And John 1.12, what we just read, to those who believe Him, to believe on His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So if you wonder this morning, am I, a, am I a child of God? Well, God invites you to trust His Son, Jesus, to believe in Him, to become then a true child of God as you trust in Him. And so on this Father's Day, you can truly call God your Father if you would put your trust in Him. I want to wrap it up with this. On top of all the reasons that David has given for us to rejoice in God and to give thanks to Him and to give praise and bless God, he adds one more reason why you and I should abound in praise to God. It's again in verse 17. One more thing to pull out of that verse. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. Look at this next phrase. And His righteousness to children's children. What he says is this. When you fear the Lord, when you believe in Him, when you follow His Word, there are blessings that come upon you. You live in God's love. You experience His love. All of the things we've read about in this chapter, all those blessings are coming to you, but it's bigger than that. Because those blessings then, he says, extend to children and to children's children. When we live in God's love, He blesses us, but He also blesses our kids. And not just our kids, but our grandkids. That's awesome. And all you compassionate dads out there, this ought to get your engine revved up. God loves you like a child. And He wants you to live in His love. And if you do, there will be not only blessings to you, but blessings to those kids you love so much. And blessings to the grandkids. And on. Isn't that awesome? Go home, get excited about the basketball game. Go home, get excited about the baseball game. But you really ought to get excited about God's love for you. It's my prayer that we'll do that this week. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Father, thank You for this good Word, how we need it. I pray this morning for every dad that's here, Every guy that someday may be a dad, every mom that's here, every person that's here, that Lord, that we would recognize You and Your great love for us. That we would believe You, trust You, live in Your love. And, enjoy, and then enjoy all of the blessings that come with that. And that then we would overflow in praise. They would pump us up. For you are a great God. Thank you. In Jesus' name.